Jared Hall is back uh, filling our pulpit. So Jared is no, so, no stranger to us. Uh, he was here October 22nd. So if you want to go back and, and hear that message on Gideon, it was an inspiring message and very encouraging to us as well. Um, so he will be bringing our next Advent uh, message today on the subject of joy. All right, let's pray. We'll get started in today's message. Lord, thanks so much for your grace and your kindness and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you are eternal, everlasting, that there is none like you, that there is none beside you. We thank you, Lord, for this Advent season, this time, Lord, where we can reflect on the first coming of Jesus, and Lord, that we can refill our hearts with anticipation for the second coming. And Lord, that as we look into your word today, I ask, Lord, that you would use it to encourage our hearts. Lord, I know that for many people, the holidays is a time of rejoicing, but Lord, also for some, perhaps even most of us, Lord, that this is a time where we're remembering loved ones that are no longer with us. And Lord, I'm, uh, I'm asking that you be close to those who are grieving, that you be close to those who are mourning this Christmas season, and that, Lord, your word would come to bear. Uh, whether we find ourselves in a season of rejoicing or in a season of mourning. We pray all this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus our Savior. Amen. I want you to think back to your childhood. I want you to think back to the very best Christmas present that you ever got as a child. Do you have it in your mind? The very best Christmas present you ever got? All right, I don't want to talk about that today. Okay, I want you to think about the very worst Christmas present you ever got. The one that was a stinker. The one that made you go, do you even know me? I don't want to talk about that one either, okay? This is the one I want to talk about. The Christmas present that I want to talk about goes like this. I looked under the tree a couple weeks before Christmas and there was a very large wrapped box. And in the mind of a 10-year-old boy, a Christmas present this large, wrapped, surely couldn't have my name on it because I know I wasn't that good. And then I looked and there it was. To Jared. Ha! Huh. Anticipation built. This gift had to be the mother load. This had to be the gift of all gifts. I mean, something this large has to be absolutely amazing. Because in a 10-year-old boy's mind, bigger is? That's right. And so Christmas morning, I wanted to open it right away. And they said, no, you can't open it right away. you got to open some smaller presents and so I was building with anticipation as I got to the very best present of all time. And as I unwrapped that present and as I opened the box, it was filled to the brim with those styrofoam peanuts. And so I had to dig through that box to discover what was inside. And then I finally grabbed a hold of something and I pulled it out. And it was a box of Hostess Cupcakes. You want to talk about disappointment. 
The anticipation of joy had been building and building and building for weeks, and then in the moments leading up to it, I was almost overcome by it, only to be completely let down. Because I knew that those Hostess cupcakes didn't even come from high V and cost full price. Those were the Hostess cupcakes that came from the resale shop. Remember when we had the outlet Hostess cupcake shop? I knew those were the cheapest box of Hostess cupcakes that had ever been bought in the history of mankind. You know, sometimes life's like that. We anticipate that there are going to be these things that are going to bring us joy. We think that this relationship, if we have that, it's going to bring us joy. We think if we get that job or that promotion, that it's going to bring us joy. We think that if we get that next house, that it's going to bring us joy. And we get to that thing, and we discover on the other side of it is what? Disappointment. It's not what we thought it was. So often in life, we place joy on the other side of something. And we go chasing and chasing and chasing. And from the time that we're young, we get in this habit of always placing joy on the other side of something. And we can spend our entire lives pursuing the very next thing only to be found with disappointment. And as a result, and this is true of everybody, but it's even true of Christians, we end up being a little bit like Charlie Brown at Christmas. Anybody watch a Charlie Brown Christmas yet? Once Thanksgiving hit, it's fair game for Christmas movies in our house. We've already gone through a loop once. We're going to go back through again. And there's Charlie Brown making Christmas a little bit sad and pitiful. What does Linus say to him? Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. And as Christians, people who know how the story ends, because we know who our Savior is, when we walk around disappointed because we've been putting our joy in other things, we don't make the gospel very aromatic to unbelievers. We make the gospel at best neutral, indifferent, unimportant, irrelevant. And so this morning as we go into our Advent passages, I want us to be looking for what are the keys to joy in the life of a believer. Where is joy discovered? Where is joy held on to? So, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, would you open up with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. I'll read through the passage once. We'll make some observations and then some applications, and then we'll move to our next passage Verse 39, Luke records this. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Okay, let's pause. And we're going to work our way backwards through the passage of observation. And so in Mary, she has this uh, poem, this elation of praise that she proclaims before Mary, but it's really directed to the Lord. And what's striking, if we were to go back to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2, you will note that there are very strong parallels between Hannah's praise before the Lord. Do you remember what Hannah's case was? She was a barren woman, right? She was a barren woman. She was married to a man who had two wives, and the other wife was able to have children, but she was barren. And so she'd gone to the tabernacle, and she'd asked the Lord, Lord, would you give me a child? I will give him in service to you. And the Lord opened her womb, and she had Samuel. And her praise of Samuel is found in that first Samuel chapter 2. And strikingly, Mary's poem, the state of praise, is reminiscent. But Throughout it are all of these callbacks to the Old Testament. So what do we make of that? Is Mary not creative enough to have her own prayers? I don't think that's the case. I think that Mary is so saturated with the Word of God that when she prays, it is a reflection of the very words of Scripture. And I think that is one of the great keys to joy. Anybody ever felt like you don't know what to pray? You ever felt like you just don't have the words? Like, I know I should pray, but what should I say? I think a great place to start is in the Scriptures. To be praying back to God the very words that He's inspired. And when we're saturated with the Word of God, then I think those words can begin to overflow into our prayer life, and there is great joy there. Because let me tell you, folks, there is never going to be joy found in an empty prayer life. There is never going to be any joy found when there is no praise on your lips. But we all hit those points where we just don't know what to pray. And that's when we have to turn to the Word of God and pray like the psalmist, pray like Mary, that we would use the words of Scriptures to inform and to fill our prayer life. Now, what else takes place here? Notice in this interaction between her and Elizabeth. One, it says that she arose with haste into the hill country. I'll come back to the moment. She goes to a town in Judah. So Mary's up in Nazareth. This is in the Galilee region. So she's in the north. 
Judah is the southern region, and so she's traveling south. But we don't know where in Judah exactly she is. We don't know why Luke doesn't record that. We don't know if Luke didn't think the detail was important. We don't know if Luke wasn't able to identify the exact town and making an orderly account. But what we can guess is probably this. While Judah was a large region because Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, was a priest, he served in the temple, it was probably in close proximity to Jerusalem. And there were lots of little villages in the region of Judah near Jerusalem where when it was Zechariah's turn, he'd be able to access Jerusalem easily. Now notice this interaction. A couple things interesting about Mary and Elizabeth. Mary... She's very young. She's a teenager. Maybe 14, 15 years old based on the normal age for women to begin to marry in Israel in the first century. Elizabeth is actually a bit like Hannah, Hannah in 1 Samuel is that she was in her upper years and was barren before the Lord opened her womb to be able to become the mother of the gospel of John the Baptist. And so what do we have here? We don't have two Peers. We don't have two women who are the same age, even though they're both pregnant. Get that picture in your mind. You have a very young woman, and you have a woman more mature, lived a longer life, further in years. Do you see the importance of this cross-cultural generational relationship and what they're going through in this dynamic? I think this is one of the keys to joy. If all we ever do is cluster together with people in our same phase of life, oh, we miss out on so much. There is so much joy found in dialogue and in fellowship with people who are either older or younger than us because it's a different perspective. But even more important than that, notice that Elizabeth is full of with the Holy Spirit. Now, can I tell you something? Here's the real key to joy. Go hang out with people who are full with the Holy Spirit. Now, notice how Mary gets to Elizabeth. How does she do it? In haste. Meaning, she does it quickly. She ain't beating around the bush. I mean, she might be pregnant, but she's hustling down to Judah. She's got to go be with Elizabeth. Here's what we need to do. We need to hurry up and go hang out with some People filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want joy in your life, that's where you need to go. Don't dilly-dally. Don't go waste your time spending people who are half-hearted about Jesus. Quickly go find the people filled with the Holy Spirit and spend time with them. If you want joy, that's where you're going to go find it. And do it quickly. Don't wait. I don't even know why you're still sitting here listening to me. You could have already been fellowshipping by now and have been way more joy-filled. But in all seriousness, that's where I find joy, is when I prioritize spending time with believers full of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter if they're half my age or four times my age. That, that's, okay, I'm getting older. That's not true anymore. People who are two times my age, that's right. Yes, there we go. That's more accurate. Maybe two, two and plus ten. There we go. Do you, do you spend time with people who are full with the Holy Spirit? I mean, take stock of where you're spending time, of who you're hanging out with. Is that 
cross your mind. I mean, it can be nice to hang out with people who are friendly, who share the same hobbies, who have the same interests, who uh, like to complain about the same things as you, right? I mean, we do that, right? Right? Like, you like to complain about that? I like to complain about that. Let's complain about that together. But where joy is found, spending time with people filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's, Two keys. One, when we pray and we don't know where to go, let's go to the words of Scripture. And two, let's be quick to fellowship with people filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go to our second passage today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. So we're just turning over a little bit. So we were with Mary being pregnant, and now we are post-delivery. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, first off, shepherds, they get kind of a bad reputation when people talk about them today. I don't think they always got such a bad reputation, but it seems like anymore when people are talking about Christmas, they're talking about the shepherds, and they're just like, oh, those dirty, stinking shepherds out in the field. Can you believe that God would talk to them? We should go talk to dirty, stinking people just like they talk to the shepherds. And I think we over-embellish this emphasis on the shepherds where I think the emphasis of the shepherds derived from is not because of their position within Israel, it's because of their relationship to Messiah Jesus. Why? Because he's in the lineage of who? King David. And what was David? A shepherd. And where was David from? Bethlehem, right? So what do we have? We have the king of kings, who was in the lineage of King David, who was a shepherd, who was in Bethlehem. And so there's this linkage throughout time and space and in the scriptures that the Messiah is connected with shepherds in Bethlehem. I think that's more of the emphasis scripturally of why the angels appear to shepherds than because of them having bad hygiene. 
I don't think the Lord was like, let's go tell the people with bad hygiene hanging around with sheep that they should go see baby Jesus. I don't think that's the purpose of it in the Scriptures. I think it has to do more with the Davidic lineage that is important with the Scriptures. So, that's my first observation that I want to share with you. So the next time someone gets over-embellished upon that, just calm them down a little bit. All right? Uh, and a lot of that has to do with less of a view of shepherds in the ancient world and more to do with Bedouin people today who live in Israel, who are part of uh, Arab tribe, who live in Israel and the surrounding region, uh, who don't play very well with others, and they tend to be fairly nomadic still, although they do have cities and villages in Israel, uh, some of which, if we go back to the Gaza war that um, Aaron just mentioned that we're going to be talking about on Tuesday night, is that a lot of the people most affected by the attack from the Palestinians, from Hamas, those are actually Bedouin cities that were affected by that. That's a tangent. Let me go back to the passage. So, what do we see here? When the angel appears to him, there's a very clear announcement that we need to think about here. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So let's unpack that. One, city of David being? Well, you guys can say a little bit louder than that. I mean, we only have like maybe ten more minutes left, you know. I know you're thinking about that fellowship you're going to get to, but hang with me. Bethlehem, right? It's Bethlehem. Now what does it say? It says that it's a Savior who is Christ the Lord, right? So it's a Savior, meaning someone who's going to bring salvation. It's the Christ, meaning it's the anointed one, the promised one through the Scriptures. And it's the Lord. If we go back to Psalm 110, when David said, my Lord said to the Lord, right? that the reader of this should be thinking about, oh my goodness, here is the Lord born in the city of David. This should connect us back to David had a Lord who spoke to Yahweh. Oh my goodness. This is, this is what Luke is trying to connect us with. This is the one that David was writing about all the way back in Psalm 110. This should get us very excited, but we are so familiar with this phrase because it's read every Christmas that we just go, oh, it's just a sentence. But this is one of the most powerful sentences that have ever been written in all of mankind right here that David's Lord who said, meaning pre-existence, to Yahweh has been born in the city of Bethlehem. And he is both Savior and Messiah. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard after you've heard it so many times. But you've got to pause and you really got to put on that wonder cap and go, God really came in the flesh? I mean, think about that reader theater for a moment. That Mary and Joseph held God? You held God in your hands? Can you back up far enough with me with your wonder caps on to stand in awe and amazement that the way that Yahweh brought salvation to you 2,000 years later is through God who could be held in your arms? I mean, that should be a wow moment for us. Now, 
angel tells him that there's going to be a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. There's been a lot of things said by pastors and preachers about what exactly is happening here, about being wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. Some people presupposing, well, he had to be wrapped because the Shekinah glory would be radiating off this baby so much that it would have been like Moses' face when he came off of Mount Sinai that the Israelites were like, ooh, Moses, too bright. Sunglasses haven't been invented yet. Let's cover it up, veil it up. That baby Jesus was just like a supercharged nightlight in that manger, just boom, and they like, got to wrap it up. Some people think, oh, it's foreshadowing that he'd be in burial cloth. And so it's a picture that even from his birth, a foreshadowing, his death in a tomb. And while that's very hauntingly beautiful and poetic, I think it's really this. The angel is giving them instructions of where to go find the baby. In Bethlehem, would there be babies wrapped in swaddling cloths? Yes. Now, most of these houses in Bethlehem were built over small caves and people would have their own mangers and they would have their own sheep they'd have maybe their own cow and so this was very common for there to be mangers and if you have ever had a toddler who crawls around and they get into places they can't be these mangers were stone mangers because wood was not plentiful in israel at any point in time can you imagine your three-year-old your two-year-old wandering off and climbing into a manger anybody i can right even my four-year-old right now, I could see him getting into it, right? So it's like, hey, shepherds, you're going to go to Bethlehem. You could find a kid crawling around in a trough, or you could find a baby in a swaddling cloth, but guess what you're not going to find anywhere else but one place? A newborn baby intentionally placed in a feeding trough, right? Because who does that? Only somebody who has to. I mean, think about that, right? Only somebody who has to. And so I think it's like a bullseye. Listen, you're going to go, and this is when you're going to find baby Jesus, right here. Now notice what they do. After the angels finish singing, they go. And how do they go? What does it say? With haste. Just like Mary went, with haste. So I want to tell you, here's the, here's the joy key number two. Okay, or number three. Here's the joy key number three. Where God's at work Go there with haste. This is the Blackaby principle from experiencing God. Anybody read that study or gone through that study of experiencing God? He's like, hey, you don't need to generate God's activity where you're at. You need to identify where God's at work and then go there and be involved with that. That's where you want to be. So here's the joy key number three. Where's, that God, where's God at work? Boom, go there. That's where you want to be. That's where you want to be found. Sometimes we spend all of our time spinning our wheels trying to get God to be excited about what we're excited about. Instead, we need to be excited what God's excited about and go there. That's where joy is going to be found. You can spend your whole life being a curmudgeon trying to convince God to be excited about what you're excited about. Go where God is already at work. And finally this. Notice what Mary does. Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I mean, again, 
We talk about this every year. But try to wrap your head around being a teenage girl who just gave birth to God. Oh, and you did it in a barn. And then shepherds showed up. They knew, they knew, they knew. Yeah, she's pondering this. She's pondering this. She's trying to get her heads around it. It's so important to take time to really process the things that God has communicated to us. Because here's the thing. It's not like God sent Jesus in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, and he grew up, and he died on the cross, and he was buried, and he was resurrected, and all that ever happened was people talked about it. No, no. God gave us his written word and explained the very meaning of it. Have you thought to consider how important it is that God has taken time not just to do things in history, but he's given us his word to explain the meaning of it? Think about it like this. Imagine I got 12 people. Everybody else is just watching. Now, you don't know what I'm going to do with the 12, but you're watching the 12. They got 12 chairs in a circle, one chair in the middle with a little basin. And I hand everybody a piece of gum. They all put the gum in. They chew feverishly. And then they stand up one by one. They spit it into that container. And they walk out. And nobody explains it. How confusing would that be, right? I mean, what just happened? Was it, a, was it an advertisement for great dentures? Was it a bubble-chewing club? Were they commemorating a, a friend who loved bubblegum and this was a singular act to say, ah, oh, we miss our friend as a dedication? How would you know if all you did was observe it and there was nothing to explain it? Wouldn't that be frustrating? How frustrating would it be that God would have given us Jesus and never explained it to us? Have you thought about that? That God's word, we need to ponder it. We need to revel in the fact that God hasn't simply moved in history, but that he has explained the purpose of it to us. Do you know how lost we would be if all we had to do was make judgment calls from history without the word of God? Oh, we'd be a ship in the middle of an ocean without a sail. Just lost. So here's the four keys to joy. One, pray the Scriptures. Two, hurry up and get in fellowship with people who are the Holy Spirit. Three, hurry up and get to where God's at work. Four, revel in the fact that God has explained what He's doing in His Word. Take stock of how much great joy that is. So overarching, what does all of this have in common? Let's go back to the present illustration, the fact that we're all chasing joy in these other areas. Guess what? Where is joy? Joy is found in the presence of God. Prayer, people filled with the Holy Spirit, where He's at work, His Word, that's where joy's at. 
And I don't know where you're at today in terms of how you feel emotionally. I don't know how you're looking at this season. I don't know how you look at people around you. I don't know how you look at these things. But if you've been feeling joyless and you've been thinking that it's somewhere else, the real secret is joy is always accessible right now. Joy is never down the line. God's made joy accessible right here. Dwight L. Moody said this, Happiness is caused by things that happen around me, and circumstances will mar it, but joy flows right on through trouble. Joy flows on through the dark. Joy flows in the night as well as in the day. Joy flows all through persecution and opposition. It is an unceasing fountain bubbling up in the heart. A secret spring the world can't see and doesn't know anything about. The Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. Joy is right here, right now, accessible to each and every one of us. And my prayer is that as believers in Jesus Christ, that we would go through this season, regardless of our circumstances, joy-filled. Because that's what the Lord provides each and every one of us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we see in part and we know in part. But Lord, you see all and know all. And Lord, you know right now where each and every one of us has been in our mindset. You know the things that we've been grumbling about. Lord, you know the things that we've been chasing. Lord, we live in a world of constant distractions and interruptions, and yet, Lord, you provide us with this unending, never-ceasing fountain of joy, and it's so readily available. And I pray, Lord, that in this Advent season, we wouldn't miss it. That, Lord, we no longer believe the lie that joy is somewhere else, that joy is for someone else, but, Lord, that we would revel in the joy that you provide, that our hearts would be satisfied even now as we sing to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.